lo and behold, <laughs> it's the lead singer from the parking lot. It's Michael Sky. What? I mean, heart drop, oh. flatline. What oh. would you guys have done? Well, I would just assume that this is sanctioned by God. Hello, world, is a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of loving is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who originated the Google search with the card catalog at their local library. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we're saving the made-for-TV movie that made us all wish that a little bit of makeup and a few lies was all it took to make a rock star fall in love with us, sooner or later. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. You, I don't know what to say. You take my breath away. In 1979, we all fell hard for a rock star named Michael Skye and an unknown actor named Rex Smith. He was the epitome of late 70s coolness. Big feathered hair, tight pants, full lips, a devilish smile, swiveling hips, and a voice that could belt out rock tunes, but also softly prune love songs in your ear and melt butter. And we all desperately wanted to be Jesse, his 13-year-old swooning guitar student who slaps on some eyeliner, tells a few lies, and just like that, becomes his girlfriend. Naturally. Of course. Of course. That's what happens. how it works. That's how it works. <laughs> right. I think it's safe to say that sooner or later was the definition of the word phenomenon. I mean, at least in my sixth grade classroom it was. It's just this little made-for-TV movie, but it's seared into the memories of people our age. If mm-hmm. you're 50 and over, there was a whole generation of people who were like anywhere from 9 to 15 years old in 1979. And if you say the words Rex Smith to anyone our age— Chances are good that they're going to gasp, and then they'll go, oh, sooner or later. Yeah. Michael <laughs> right? Sky. Yes. Or even if you just yes. go, you. Oh. Right? That's off you. you. You just did it to me. <laughs> you oh, take my yeah. breath away. Yeah, because I, um, I tried to channel my 13-year-old self and kind of recall how she felt when she watched that movie, because... Honestly, the 55-year-old me is ha- was having a bit of a hard time with the whole mm-hmm. premise. But while I was watching some of the clips on YouTube, all it took was the first time that he sang. And he sings um, up in the mall parking lot, mm-hmm. and it's called Better Than It's Ever Been Before. Oh, it's better than it's Next thing I knew, I was singing every single <gasps> word you to that were? song. It, unlocked it blew me away. I had the album. Yes. Oh so I, God. it all came back to me. This mm-hmm. was probably right now with the history of our podcast, the first time I really feel like I unlocked this yeah. memory that probably never would have been revived again. You got because, transported. Yes. And I could sing better than it's ever been before. <laughs> and I could remember the album because I had it. And the, you know, again, like we discussed the cover of the Sean Cassidy album where he's wearing his little hat. This mm-hmm. was also like a life-size face practically mm-hmm. of Rex yep. Smith. Like Kissable. I could kiss right. him. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And he would sing those songs to me. So I immediately was 13 again and all was mm-hmm. right with the world. You guys, mm-hmm. we're doing a really good service for um, uh, menopausal women our age. I'll tell you why. We are. Because <laughs> as you get older, they say, do things like word searches or Sudokus or whatever to keep your brain sharp. Look what we're doing. All of these memories, we are just firing synapses left and right. And I'm going to tell you, I bet that um, our generation and our society members are going to be sharper longer. Oh, yeah. We're going to live to 100. <laughs> You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Carolyn, uh, that happened to me when, gosh, 
months ago when one of our, you know, followers on Instagram or something mentioned sooner or later, and it might have been around in March when Kristen's birthday happened and you got the cameo for Kristen of Rex Smith singing, mm-hmm. You Take My Breath mm-hmm. Away, which you... took her breath away. It did. Like, it took my breath away. Literally. Literally. Took her breath away. And I was kind of disappointed in myself because I was thinking, I'm not sure. The song, obviously, Rex Smith, yes, but the movie wasn't wasn't firing the synapses in my brain until I saw the cover of the book. And when I saw the cover of the book, Mm -hmm. I I probably gasped out loud and screamed Mm -hmm. because for me, the book, I mean, when the movie was released, I was only 10. So I'm not sure if that's when I saw the movie. I just know that I read the book multiple times. Um, I mean, and by multiple, I probably mean, you know, 15 or 20. It was the best, most romantic story. And the, but the book cover did that for me. It brought it, it mm-hmm. brought it all back. Mm-hmm. And then I remembered the movie and then I could remember everything. It was the, it was one of those books that got passed around my classroom. I'm sure I got it from the Stein girls who also gave me flowers <laughs> in the attic. And it was probably the most grown up book that I had ever read up uh-huh. to that point. And you're right. The cover did <sighs> something to me because Denise Miller, Jesse's, Jesse's very teenage face yes. was speaking to me because that's what I was heading for. I was aiming for that. I wasn't there yet, but I was aiming for it. And then the locket. <gasps> There was something oh. very melodramatic about the locket because a locket is not a toy. This is not child's play. And it was like the locket was a symbol of arrival to a certain place, a very special place where boys and girls go to dances and they kiss for the first time and they have lots mm-hmm. and lots of feelings. So yeah, the, seeing Jesse with that locket on, I would stare, I would stare at that cover. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if sometimes I would stare at that cover for half an hour at, you know, maybe 11 years old, 10 and 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And because it was such a fantasy, the whole plot of the story, regardless of if you're talking about the novelization or the movie, it was such a fantasy. And for all of us who did fantasize about Andy Gibb or Sean Cassidy or Scott Bayo, this was what we wanted to happen. And yeah. I would stare at Jessie as if she was real, as if this was real. And imagine, like, I, I remember almost just getting a very funny feeling in my tummy when I would look at that book or read the book, and I had favorite parts of it. And yeah, it was, it would, it was a dream come true for me. Yeah, she was like the person that we wanted to follow. Yes. Yes. Like I said, the book is a novelization of the screenplay, but we're going to go back a little bit more. So the movie was released in 1979. And it was written, directed, and produced by Bruce Hart and his wife, Carol. Now, Bruce Hart is well-known for co-writing the lyrics to the Sesame Street theme song, you guys. Isn't that crazy? And this this one, as if it could, if if you say it, I don't think this is better, but as equally as exciting for us, he also is known for writing the lyrics to one of our favorite childhood albums, Free to Be You and Me. In a land where the river runs free. finger on the pulse of something. So Bruce and his wife, Carol, co-wrote the paperback novelization of the film, which is based on their teleplay, as a promotional tie-in. However, this is where I'm a little confused, but the book was published in 1978, and the movie wasn't released until 1979. So even though they wrote, it's, it, to me, everything I'm reading sounds like they wrote the book maybe after they wrote the teleplay as, you know, mm-hmm. as the promotional tie-in, it still was released before the movie. Um, so on Amazon right now, if you want to get a paperback copy of Sooner or Later, it's $70, but the mass market paperback is $902. Sure. I'll just, I'll just write a check. <laughs> Which is just crazy because um, for those of you who can't afford either of those prices, um, I actually just checked out Sooner or Later from <gasps> openlibrary.org. And oh, my God. I looked for it, and I couldn't find in, it. in our show notes. So I'll put a link in there, and um, everybody could go right to it. So um, I just read it yesterday. I really, really do want to read it, because I did tap into that mm-hmm. that that 12-year-old brain, <sighs> and mm-hmm. I just want to go, I want to take it a little deeper. I want mm-hmm. to revisit, I don't want to revisit the book as much as I want to revisit myself reading the book. Yeah. Aw. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, um, I did read the book, and again, we can... I want you both to maybe read it again because 
there is some very, um, a lot of sexual innuendo in a lot of the language that I'm sure went well over my head. With Way the whole over my head. Strumming yes. of the guitar mm-hmm. and, um, you know, he was strumming that lazy galloping thing. And then the organ, high and keening. I don't know, maybe it was my, it's my nasty brain that reads it like that. <laughs> but I was thinking, oh my goodness, this could really be read in a different way. Yeah, but things are different when you're our age going back and looking at the stuff we mm-hmm, liked as kids. Is. We oh, talked yeah. about that with Flowers in the Attic, too. Yeah. It's almost like, thank goodness, we didn't tap into right. that then. But do you mm-hmm. think it was written that way for like well that's the, a well, good question i'm about to talk about that in the movie i think there was a lot of things done in the movie too that were very kind of um sensual uh okay so as we all know this movie struck a chord with basically all of us who were in the range of jesse's age in 1979 honestly i can't tell you how many comments and dms we've received about this movie and about rex smith it is beloved People are still obsessed with this movie um, and with Rex Smith, who it made an instant star out of. Mm-hmm. And this, so this is basically an emergency recording of an episode because the outcry was so great. And we're like, why are we not doing this? I think we need to talk about this now. Okay, so Rex Smith, um, he was in a couple of bands in the early to mid-70s. This is, you know, pre-Sooner or Later. Where did this dude come from? He was in a couple of bands in the early to mid-70s, one called Tricks and one called Rex. Which tricks would be like, no, I wish it did, but it didn't. (laughs) But I am going to start a band and call it Kristen. You guys can be in it if you want. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm the tambourine player. No, that's me. We can have two. We're going to be the first band with two tambourine players. And I'll play the triangle. Yes, and that's all we have. We have two tambourine players and a triangle. Okay, so his um, he was primarily a musician, and his first breakout acting role was as Danny Zuko in the Broadway production of Grease in 1978, because, of course, John Travolta and Jeff Conaway were busy being in the movie. But then, like five minutes later, he's Danny Zuko on Broadway, and then like five minutes later, he's cast in the movie sooner or later, and he has said that it was literally an overnight change in his profile. Like, one day he could go to the drugstore and buy his antifungal spray in peace and the next day he was Elvis and he has said this is a quote from Rex Smith I was being groomed to be a Van Halen if you will then sooner or later happened it played on a Sunday and the next day I was at Bloomingdale's to buy a shirt and 20 minutes later I was locked in a dressing room with fans outside in today's world of a thousand channels that kind of overnight stardom doesn't happen anymore mm-hmm. which is he's right yeah. the people that that are the superstars right now are people we've never heard of. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. He had the Van Halen hair, didn't he? He had the Van Halen hair. Yeah, so you can see where he was really going in a different direction. But so in my mind, he is by far and away best known for this one fleeting role in this little made-for-TV movie called Sooner or Later that created literally a tsunami. Okay, not literally. Figuratively. (laughs) Metaphorically, a tsunami of crushes in my sixth grade classroom. But the strange thing is that the internet thinks that he is best known for his short, for his Mm -hmm. role in a very short-lived TV show called Street Hawk in 1985, which is about some FBI dude who rides a magic motorcycle that can fly and do backflips. So part of the tsunami, the metaphorical tsunami of sooner or later, came from the hit song from the movie, You... You take my breath away, which killed all the sixth grade girls sitting on their couches in their rec rooms watching this movie. It was a monster hit, and he only had one other hit after that. In 1981, it was a remake of Carl Carlton's Everlasting Love, which I swear to God, I thought that song was by Michael from Good Times. (laughs) I just found out now that it was not Michael from Good Times that did that one, and that's the, it's, um... Open up your eyes. I love that It's a good song. It's, it's a, a really good song. song. And it's ripe for a remake. It sounded really good, but it was just a minor hit. It hit like, you know, number 32 on the charts, and that was it. So then in the 80s and 90s, he did a lot of TV guest appearances he was on love boat where he was vicky's first crush which that only makes sense right oh, I love that's a that great episode. episode 
He was on a couple of seasons of As the World Turns. Carolyn, did you know he was in the pilot of California Fever? Of course you did. What am I saying? Um, and then he, of course, replaced Andy Gibb on Solid Gold, mm-hmm. which I never thought of it in terms of replacing Andy Gibb. And then that makes my heart hurt a little bit. I just thought that he was on Solid Gold. But no, he did. But, he replaced But, Kristen, Andy there Gibb. were so many hosts of Solid Gold, weren't Thank there? Thank you. Yes. So you yes, can't yes. think of it as a replacement. I think there yes. were maybe five or six um, hosts to that show. Except that Andy Gibbs' exit was a little dramatic. So that, mm. well, that's another show. Yeah. Um, but then he did return to the stage again. He starts with Danny Zuko and he returns to the stage again, first in the Pirates of Penzance with Linda Ronstadt, which that, that was kind of a, that was kind of a big deal. And that was mm-hmm. later turned into a movie, which I think was kind of a minor hit. If you follow him on Instagram, yes. you'll mm-hmm. see him going to like mm-hmm. casinos and places like that and playing. Right. And oftentimes with a one man show called Confessions of a Teen Idol, <laughs> which is yes. kind of brilliant, you know, like know where your bread is buttered, buddy. Okay, so sooner or later also stars Denise Miller as Jessie, the girl next door we all desperately wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But Denise Miller actually wasn't a newcomer. No, she was actually on our TV screens already. She uh, was in the TV show Fish with Abe Vigoda, which was show. a spinoff of, from Barney Miller. So that mm-hmm. was her first television experience. And then, of course, we have what we are here talking about. She stars in uh, Sooner or Later. And then from there, she went on to co-star in the short-lived, everybody get ready, Saturday Night Fever-inspired Making it. Oh my God. What? No. I know. Yes, she did. Which Making we, it. Do, yes. Do, 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 do. Yes, which Making we obviously it. just talked about recently what? in our oh, um, TV themes that episode. Is so the funny. nine episode show that's on TV, <laughs> yes. guys. Worst TV episode. With the of all Dr. Time. Pepper guy. Which ironically was named Making It, and it didn't mm-hmm. make it. It did we, not. So lucky for Denise, it didn't take long after Making It didn't make it, that she was cast (laughs) in what was probably her best-known role and what we um, might know her best from as Billy Bunker in Archie Bunker's Place. Um, That show lasted 47 episodes, and during her time on Archie Bunker's Place, she also was guest-starred in other shows. Um, She actually did an episode of The Love Boat, and I want to read you the synopsis of the plot line that she was in because... It is good. Um, her storyline was called. <laughs> oh no, she can't say her, it. Her storyline was entitled "The Girl Who Stood Still." Here is the plot: <laughs> Two childhood sweethearts separated since school meet up on the cruise. How does the girl Denise Miller tell her old boyfriend? Sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, Jimmy Osmond. (laughs) That she that she now lives with a back brace. Oh my god! Oh, it's Deanie due to a spine disease. Oh my god! No, the girl who stood still. She's standing still because of her back brace. Yes, because she has a spine disease, and that's not funny. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It is not funny, listeners. Please know that's not funny. Oh, my God. Oh, come on. That's so That is not lovable material. Jimmy Osmond. It's so funny. All right. Well, anyway, yeah, she was in Saturday. I mean, not Saturday. (laughs) Yes, she was um, starred in Love Boat. Scully Austin says no place on the Love Boat. Can we just say? (laughs) Yes. That's just not not appropriate for I don't know how that happened. Um, yeah, that was a romantic lead. Oh God! I'm praying. I'm praying there was not a scene of her trying to kiss him with her back brace on, and we can't like get close enough or something. Like in well, Beanie, where she's trying to lean forward. Yes, maybe. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> maybe when if that was going to happen, they'd quickly cut to his girls' Friday. That plot line where a businessman, Dick Van Patten, takes his prissy secretary, <laughs> Rue McClanahan, on a business trip. When he meets a dizzy blonde, Judy Sanders, his problem is now, how does he get his secretary c- to quit so he can hire the blonde? Oh, oh come on, love boat. I you know. I'm to watch that episode tonight. I'm oh. gonna, it's on Paramount Plus. I'm going to cue that one up. So after her star-studded role in the love boat, she went on to guest star in shows like Knight Rider, Private Sessions, In the Heat of the Night, Murder, She Wrote, 
And she was in a show I've never heard of for 13 episodes, her last series that she was in called Platypus Man. Don't ask me about it. <laughs> that is made up. That is a plant. No. You made that up just to trick us to I find out know. if we it can was call true. you on your bullshit. No, someone put it in Wikipedia Platypus just to be just to be an asshole. No, I oh looked it God. up. It was oh, you did? on UPN, whatever that short-lived network. Yeah. And it had a plot line. It's sounded kind of interesting. So you can go look it up. I think you can watch it on YouTube if you so care to. I'm not going to. And now a man with we don't a long know flat tail and a big bill. Yeah. So um, her last oh. known acting appearance was in 2003 in a movie called April's Showers. And she, after that, she, you can't find anything about her wow. anywhere. That is She's just off her the last radar. Name. No social media. Nothing. nothing under the personal life tab? Nope. A few people say that, say they saw her working in a boutique on Rodeo Drive. That has popped up a few times, but I don't have any proof to that. So I feel no like photos. I want to go find her. I know. I'm hoping that maybe she hears and she celebrate listens. whatever she's doing. Exactly. Right? If you're working in a boutique yeah. on Rodeo Drive, I just want to say good on you, Denise. That's what exactly. I was about to say. Like maybe yeah. she loves clothes. Remember how we talked yes. about Christy McNichol wanting to cut hair, and we yes. were all like, "Then you do it, Christy McNichol." Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Good for you. Well, if any of you listening know Denise Miller, please pass our <laughs> podcast along to her and tell her we would like to talk to her and support her. I think her. Denise Miller might be listening. Come on. Let's yes. think about that. Denise, be a just society call. Member. Just call. Is she our age or she, she's, is she she's a little was, older? Um, just a, well, just a couple years older than me. I think mm-hmm. she's born in 63. Okay. Mm-hmm. The movie, the blockbuster movie, also stars Judd Hirsch and Barbara Feldon, who is Agent 99 in Get Smart. As Jesse's parents, and naturally, it stars Maury Amsterdam and Lynn Redgrave. (laughs) (laughs) They also have small roles because why not? So let's walk through this movie because it's another one of those shockingly inappropriate plot lines that were so normalized back in the late 70s, ones that we all just accepted and seemingly didn't find anything disturbing about, much like Ice Castles or Grease, Blue Lagoon, Little Darlings. Mm -hmm. All right, so here we go. So we meet Jessie, a pretty 13-year-old girl who, like most 13-year-old girls, is thrilled to get a makeover at the local department store that makes her look older. Or like a 13-year-old trying to look like a 17-year-old, depending on how old you are when you're watching this movie. And she leaves the department store with a bag of bag full of the magic cosmetics. How she afforded a bag full of department store makeup is a big question mark, but alas, is not the point of this movie, (laughs) and is actually something you only question as a grown-ass adult watching it. Uh, She stumbles upon leaving. She stumbles upon a parking lot concert and is instantly mesmerized by the lead singer. Hubba hubba. You guys, he's wearing a simple white t-shirt and black suspenders, tight pants, and is swiveling his tiny hips like he's stirring fucking cake batter. (laughs) They are going round and round. And you're right. They're so tiny. Like the hips are They're very tiny. narrow hips. Very narrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the pants are so, I mean, tighter than tight. Like the balls cannot breathe. I think it's because his hair is so big. It makes the rest oh. of his body look so narrow. But actually think oh, about that's it. Possible. And he's really tall and he has yeah. giant hair. And can um, I just say he's wearing a lady's shirt too? Like, you think it was? Why does, yeah, for sure. He's got little cap sleeves and a scoop neck. Yeah. Everybody else in the band gets to wear a men's shirt, but he has to wear a lady's shirt. I don't know why. Uh, So Jessie, she pushes her way to the front and stands at the stage, locking eyes with this dreamboat singer. Mm -hmm. And instantly, she is just gone. She is in love. And also, she's going to learn to play the guitar. Of course she is. (laughs) But you guys, we've all been Jessie, haven't we? Oh, I've literally been Jessie. Like, I've done that. (laughs) I've been in the front row, locking eyes with the keyboard player. Do you, do you guys remember a band called Limited oh, no. Warranty? No. Oh, no. my God. I was He was all like Flock of Seagulls haircut, and he had nice. big shoulder pads and little jazz shoes. And I just stood in front of the keyboard and just like, I was just hoping he was going to be like, you want to go back to your dorm room? Um, but he didn't. <laughs> Wait, I just love the image, too. You say the little jazz shoes. I'm picturing, did he have like little black lace-up capizios on? Probably. Yes, yes, yeah. with white socks, like, with, yeah, white with white ankle socks. socks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I mean, limited warranty, 
if you went back and looked at a picture of him, he probably wasn't that good looking, but it's something about he's a keyboard player in a band. Oh, yeah. You're standing at the front of the stage. You're locking eyes with him. He is the most attractive and most sensual person you've ever seen. Absolutely. And he's right in front of me. And somehow I scored a spot right at the front of the Mm. stage. And I'm like, this is going to happen. I think this is going to happen. It did not happen. I'm sorry. Are we sorry (laughs) it didn't? I don't know if I'm sorry it didn't happen. No, Uh, I think it's fine. (laughs) I just think we've all been Jesse, though, in that moment of, you know, the the Andy Gibbs or the Sean Cassidy's, the the singer Mm -hmm. who's just mesmerizing. And I don't care how much older he is than you. You're gone. You're just, you're gone. And can I say something about makeup too? Because makeup was magical at that age. Like I'm 10, 11, 12, and I'm not quite wearing makeup yet. And when I did get makeup, I hid it in my room. Mm -hmm. Like it was contraband of some kind. And we didn't have any rules. We didn't have rules like that. It wasn't that makeup wasn't allowed, but I hid it like wine coolers or something, like wine coolers (laughs) in my closet. And in the morning, I would literally tiptoe across my room to put my makeup on so I wouldn't get caught. Nobody would have done anything at all to me if they had found me putting on my makeup. But I think I was like, I was tiptoeing into the next phase of my life. Like I wasn't sure if I was allowed in the next phase of my life. And the makeup was representing that. So the makeup in this movie is really significant. It's it's not just about making her look older. It was something that we were all running toward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Kristen Good going point. deep. Deep mm-hmm. thoughts on sooner or later. I want to know thoughts. what your first makeup was. Do you remember? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Again, thanks to the Stein girls. Because when I would go to the Stein girls' house for sleepovers, they would put makeup on me. And oh. I would be Denise Miller. I'm like, oh, look at me. I'm a fancy lady. And I remember after this movie, they put my hair in a bun because a bun, Shoot. of course, mm-hmm. makes you a fancy lady. Um, so the first, the first makeup that I had was a bottle of foundation. I mean, I'm in, I'm in seventh grade. I don't need foundation. My skin is perfect. <laughs> but I have foundation and I have like some peach colored blush and then I had some mascara. And that was it. Oh. And yet I had to hide it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had this pot of blue eyeshadow ah, oh. that you put on with your finger it was oh, kind sure. of greasy like a little yeah mm-hmm. yeah i don't Yikes. remember my first what I my first makeup was one. but i do remember i i liked the blue eyeliner a lot like oh, the baby sure. blue eyeliner a lot yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i did that in high school mm-hmm. well i was in probably middle school and yeah. did the blue eyeliner yeah mm-hmm. uh okay so the next day back to the movie mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> the next day right. jesse takes the bus to the guitar school, because remember, she's decided she's going to learn to play the guitar. She takes the bus to the guitar school and is greeted by Maury Amsterdam, naturally, who tells her that she's in luck. There's an available teacher down the hall right now. So Jesse walks into the classroom to find a tall, skinny man boy with a mane of lustrous hair strumming his guitar. <laughs> and you guys, lo and behold, it's the lead singer from the parking lot. It's Michael Sky. What I mean, heart drop, oh. flatline. What oh. would you guys have done? Well, I would just assume that this is sanctioned by God. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what I would say. Why else would this be happening like this? I just right. walk in and they're like, yes, we have we have an opening this moment that you happen to walk in. Oh, and look who it is. Clearly, he's meant to be my husband. Exactly. You guys, they do, they do a great job, though, in the movie because she does, I think, exactly what I would have done. She's, um, she's rendered speechless. She's... Um, She's, she kind of doesn't know what to do. She's breathless. Like he takes her breath away, basically. <laughs> you and she's she's stumbling over her words. She basically doesn't say anything. Um, just because, can you imagine? Like, can you imagine being in that situation? It's what I spent most nights falling asleep. Oh, yeah. imagining mm-hmm. when I was mm-hmm. in 1980. Sure. Imagining scenarios where I would walk into Taco Bell and there Scott Bayo would be eating a burrito. <laughs> Taco Bell. And I, you know what I mean? Or something. Or Scott Bayo, uh-huh. I would be somewhere and Scott Bayo would walk into the store I was in or something. I would imagine scenarios like this. So this scene, oh, it just makes my heart fall in that good, that good roller coaster way. Totally. Totally. Yeah, no, I agree. Everything that um, Kristen said, like this was meant to be. Like this yeah. is full steam ahead. Yeah, 
the someone's gods are telling shining her, down. Someone's yeah. telling her, this is kismet. You go, girl. Mm-hmm. That's exactly uh, right. Okay, so let's talk just for a minute about this guitar lesson. So Jessie isn't wearing the aging makeup. She's fresh-faced. She looks beautiful, She, but she looks like a 13-year-old girl. Um, so Michael doesn't recognize her as the girl from the concert, yet they still proceed to have the most sexually charged guitar (laughs) lesson of all time seriously i think he uses the word fingering like four times and stands behind her fingering her guitar strings and touching her fingers with his fingers and instructing her softly in her ear from behind from from behind behind. and i hate to say it but it is hot it is and i feel like this is is a good place to remind you that she is 13 Mm -hmm. and i also feel like this is a good place to remind you that if you are watching currently you are 52 <laughs> or 53 or 54. But first of all, okay, so the guitar is the perfect vehicle for pretend closeness. It's sort of like mm-hmm. square dancing like a golf in club. gym. Or a golf club. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I have to, you have to come around you. I have to right. put my arms around you. Now we're going to do some fingering. Right? <laughs> yes. So And bad. I need to place your fingers. Yes. Like, I need to place yes, your fingers with your my fingers. beautiful long fingers that mm-hmm. cover your little tiny hand with my giant hand. And I'll just hover here near your near your neck. I'll just hover with my face around your neck. And the beginning, the beginner guitar exercises that they're working on is like the soundtrack to falling in love. You would never know that a simple scale could be such a beautiful song. And they're doing it together in <sighs> unison. They're starting. I mean, oh, there's another metaphor. Yeah. It's a total metaphor for sex. So they do these exercises, but they never get to the finish. They always stop short of the finish. Mm-hmm. There's no climax to these guitar exercises. You're always left wanting more. But then he ever so gently teaches her how to put a finish on it. Mm-hmm. And he's doing this while he polishes his guitar. No lie. <laughs> Polishing the guitar. I'll show you how to put a finish on it. Oh, Bruce and Carol Hart, look what oh you've done. Oh, my God. I right? know. And, the, oh, my God, you guys, they wrote the lyrics to Sesame Street. I know. Can <laughs> you believe? <laughs> uh, so we're moving on. Okay. So Michael gives her a ride home. Of course he does. Of course it works out that way. And Jesse just starts vomiting lies. Like, <laughs> she finds out he's 17, so she tells him she's 16, and that she goes to school at the Catholic high school. She's an Orthodox Jew. You guys, her dad is Judd Hirsch, for God's sake. And when she finds out that he goes jogging in the park every Saturday morning, wouldn't you know it? She also jogs in the park. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. On Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. So when you guys, when you watch this scene, what were you thinking? Go back to your 13-year-old self. And if you were in the situation, what are you thinking about what Jesse's doing right now? Smart girl. Yeah. Smart. You understood it, right? Oh, yes. This is what's necessary. This is just necessary. She's just doing what is necessary. Because remember, it's sanctioned by God. (laughs) Yeah. That might be the only reason that I would say she's smart. Because actually, my heart is like, (gasps) she lied. The rest of the movie, there's this angst I have. This Uh anxious feeling of her parents are going to find out. He's going to find out. She has to live this lie. It's like this foreboding that Uh I just think... When is it going to happen? And that, I guess, was maybe exciting too, but it just underlined everything. And I just didn't really honestly like the way it made me feel. That is so interesting. End. 100% agree with you. I mean, you guys know by now mm-hmm. that I'm a rule follower and I don't like conflict and I don't like dishonesty and things like that. So this part, even watching it as a 52-year-old woman, made me very uncomfortable. I don't remember how I felt as a 13-year-old reading the book and all the lies, I'm, I'm imagining I felt really anxious like you, Carolyn, and like, oh, no, 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 this isn't right. But at the same time, really like supporting her. Like you go girlfriend because yes. like, you know, I, if I had to tell Scott Bayo some lies, you, that'd be coming That's out of my mouth. That's just what it mouth. takes. I think That's I would. I think takes. I would have gotten over that uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. And done it. I don't know. I mean, adolescence is a wholly different time in which um, in my adolescent brain, lying is just a necessary part of life. And I had no difficulty with the lying at all. This is what she needed to do. And I was like, that a girl. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I couldn't help but look at them and think, oh, no, no, this is never, he's never going to believe you. Because if you guys can remember, even with her makeup on, he looked wildly older oh, yes. than she was. 
Yeah, okay, he can like I just 17. interject? Yeah. He was wildly older. Wait, he was 22 years old in real <gasps> oh, life. No. How old was she? How old was she? She was 13 going no, on no, 14. No, no. Oh, girl. Yes. Oh, Carolyn. I know. I don't like that rabbit hole. He like tongue kisses her. Yes. He was married. <gasps> His wife is on the set. Oh, God. And she, he's kissing a little girl. And according to an interview that she did, some of those scenes, her parents, the first time they saw it was when the movie was being screened. What? They weren't there on the set? Yeah, she wouldn't hmm. have had like some sort of child handler on script to make. Right. I mean, 13 Where's is the young. social services person? Yeah, 13 going on 14. You guys, so, um, at, although I guess this is a sign of the late 70s. I'm just actually, I don't think that that could be legal now. I think there would be a lot of oh, paperwork absolutely. involved. That's called pedophilia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so even more like, than the okay. movie, the real life part of it makes me even uh, more just. It would be different if they didn't require them to kiss, right? If there, if if the story didn't involve a physical part of the relationship. What I don't like about it is that, like, when Rex Smith got this uh, script, or you could say Denise Miller, mm-hmm. when right. Rex Smith gets this script, and he's like, oh, yeah, this looks like a great role, and mm-hmm. he finds out the Jesse character is actually 13 years old, and he's 22, that's really icky that he said, oh, yeah, I'm on, yeah. I'm on board, I'll do this. Yeah. I feel well, like that's pretty icky. was the Jesse character 13 years, I mean, Denise Miller, the actual human being playing the character, is 13 years old. You would assume that her parents read the script and it would have said in the script, this is where they tongue kiss each other. Wouldn't that have sent up some alarm bells? Or they may have said, we really think this is a great project. Let's just not have them do the tonguing. Mm, that's a big day. That's a big age difference. Okay, mm-hmm. well, I'm not going to let that taint the rest of my memories. Right. We're going to no. keep going. Right. Okay, so we're going to keep going. You guys, there's a really cute jogging scene where she waits for him in suspenders, little red baseball cap, <laughs> and pretends she's out for a jog, but literally collapses onto the path because she can't keep up with them. Because let's not forget, she's not a jogger. Right. Um, and he has to basically carry her back. And this is when You Take My Breath Away is playing over this kind of montage. And it's just darling. I mean, I think we can all agree. Jesse's darling, and we all love her, right? Like, uh, well, yeah, he, she's, we did. she's we, adorable. She was real. Yeah, she's ever so earnest. Her earnestness is palpable. And when she's standing there in her cutoffs and her suspenders in her made-up jogging outfit, and she's, you're just—it's like she's doing a job, like she's going to work. And you're like, mm-hmm. that a girl? You're doing it. You're doing it. I was gonna say, you get a really good glimpse though at her innocence because as she's waiting for Michael to come around the path, she's looking at this statue. It's like the statue of David. Let's yeah. just pretend yeah. we're not really mm-hmm. sure what it is because it's right. from the back. Yeah. And she has her arms crossed and she's looking up at it and kind of admiring the statue. And as her eyes travel down and she gets, you know, to the um, underwear region, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but you can see her eyes like, oh, Oh, and she looks away like, yikes, yeah. which is kind of what we all did at age 13. Like, that's a very it's real ooky. moment for her. Yeah. yeah, that's a good catch. I need to watch that part again because that is a very telling moment. The, like you said, this is the part where the song is introduced. You take my breath away and it really makes the scene. It's complete. Like, I just hear that first sort of beginning of the song and I get goosebumps. <laughs> warm groin feeling that Carolyn talked about last time. <laughs> and and then here comes here comes Michael. He's wearing another woman's shirt. Um <laughs> and knee highs and the shorts are so, so small. How his wiener is not hanging out of them, I have no idea. They are so tight. He could have just taken his knee socks and pulled them up to his groin, <laughs> right? Just cover up the wiener with your knee socks. <laughs> now I think it tells us that Rex Smith has a tiny wiener. <laughs> and such tiny hips. Oh, my God. Micro penis. Just, like, tuck it in. Just tuck <laughs> it right in. But he is, to go along with her earnestness, he is that warm, comforting man boy. He is the epitome of, he's going to show me the way. 
He's going to take care of me. And he's really good at this. He's really, it, you know, this really could have gone badly. She's taken it down, <laughs> taken it to like the, the scholarly level. Good right. job. It's the making of a prepubescent mm-hmm. fantasy. How yeah. many people watching that movie took Denise Miller out of the scene and put themselves in the Me. scene? Right? Me. Exactly. Yeah. He just does a really good job of being yeah. that comforting, understanding man boy. And what's interesting is I put myself in her shoes in the book and in the movie. And mm-hmm. I like the book a lot better because I'm going to get a lot of um, hate mail for this. But I was not attracted to Rex Smith. Yeah, I, I, also, I was the same. He was not my crush. I was not in love with him. Mm-hmm. I was in love with them. Yeah. I was in, I was in love, love with, with the story. story. Yeah. I was in love with with how he was with her. I was totally in love with the two of them together. He just did a really good job, and so did she. It was what it was what this whole story represented for us. The mm-hmm. fault, the having the the older heartthrob crush notice you because yeah. in 1980, you know, right after this movie came out, maybe is when I saw it. I'm you know I'm hot and heavy into Scott Bayo, and to me, Rex Smith. And now that I know he was 22, you know, I'm, I was only 11. He was he was a man. He was way mm-hmm. older for me. So yeah. if you think about it, it's not really surprising that I didn't like him if I was you know at the time in love yeah. with. Chachi Arcola. And so I feel like it just, he was too old, but he was, he was 22. Yeah. yeah. He did not look like a 17 year old in the movie. He was not passing no. for a 17 year old. No. The flirting escalates and it continues for a few weeks along with the sexually charged guitar lessons until it all comes to a head. I'll insert my own rim shot. When Michael and Rimshaw, okay, I'm just going to keep going. When Michael invites her to band rehearsal and tells her he'll pick her up from school. Catholic school, you guys. But this is a very cute and funny scene. And she has to race to the Catholic school and change. And then she has to merge in with all the kids exiting in their uniforms. And Michael's waiting in the car. And when she gets in, he's like, oh, I wanted to see you in your cute uniform, which I'm like, oh, my God, arrest him, right? (laughs) But Jesse, you know, she's just as cool. She's like, oh, yeah, sorry, but I had to change. And, you know, she's wearing these, like, this cool kind of peasanty long shirt and these, these knee-high, you know, kind of camel-colored oh. boots. And she looks, yes. very, she looks very mature. Her hair is all down and curled. Um, so they go to band rehearsal, which is in this big empty garage. Can I talk about the outfit yeah. for a second? Because oh, yeah, if yeah. you recall, so her boots, the, the tall camel-colored uh-huh. boots, are the same boots that I wore with my overalls. If you recall, oh, in the... In yes. the episode about fashion where oh, I wore these them boots, in. I want yeah, she has this great like Gloria Vanderbilt look where she's got these tight jeans tucked into these great boots, which I was trying to do in seventh grade, except I did it with my baggy overalls and it, they look more like jodhpurs. I look it was like a rerun situation <laughs> instead of sexy. Um and so I because was they going all for that. Out. Yeah, they were all baggy. So <laughs> I was going for that look. She just has a really cute look. Okay, so they go to band rehearsal, and Michael has Jesse come on stage to accompany him on guitar and sings her a love song called Simply Jesse. Stars that glisten, lips for kissing. Honey, listen, it's true. No one ever loved you better. I love you, honey. in the song that he loves her and then he says it at the end he leans over and whispers it in her ear i love you oh god and he oh then god, gives her he song. gives her the line then put a finish on it jess put a finish which on is it, brimming jess. with sexual mm-hmm. innuendo yeah but when i was 10 i did not know this and then they kiss in front of everyone and we all go nuts and mm-hmm. i feel like this is a good time to remind you again that she is 13 and you are 52 <laughs> <laughs> But I can still judge. I can still yes. judge. And I'm going to talk about the, like, that was brilliant directing on the part mm-hmm. of the director. A lesser director would have had him go, Jess, I love you. And then they would have, like, fallen madly into a big embrace. Instead, they do this very subtle where he leans over and whispers, like you said, he <sighs> whispers in her ear, I love you. And everyone can hear it, but it's private at the same time. It's the intersection of public and private, which is what everybody wants. This public, somebody to love them so much that they make a public declaration of their love, but they don't want to be embarrassed. So you do it in this very quiet, private Mm -hmm. way. 
It's just brilliant. She reacts, though, in a very 13-year-old way. It's mm-hmm. very cute. She she flings her arms out. She goes, oh, Michael, I love you, too. And she like, <laughs> flings her arms and basically jumps on him to kiss him. Mm-hmm. And then they kiss. And then, speaking of rim shot, then the, the, the drummer does. And then they laugh, and it's all really cute. But, did, yeah, did you guys feel that moment? Totally. Oh, mm-hmm. And part of it is because of her. The reason I could feel it is because she's really good at looking starry-eyed in not a dumb way. She looks, again, it's the earnestness of her. Mm -hmm. She has to look up. She's much shorter than she is, so she has to look up. So she always looks like she's in awe of him. And it's just really Mm -hmm. cute. Uh, So now, obviously, Jessie, as if she wasn't before, she is over her head big time because now Michaels loves her. And she is head over heels in love. (laughs) And, um, oh, also, you guys, as if this movie wasn't disturbing enough, her best friend, who's adorable in this movie, I love her, she is simultaneously seducing her dentist. (laughs) Um, So they can bond. They bond over their older men. I mean, it's good to have friends who understand, I guess, right? Do you guys, Um, um, that just reminded me quickly of um, when Marsha had a crush on her dentist. Do you remember Dr. Vogel? Oh, my God, that's right. I thought that was reminding me of something. Yeah, uh-huh. where she thinks that he asked her on a date when um, he was just asking <laughs> if she could babysit. And then she has like those daydreams, which That's are right. the scenes where they're married oh. and she's like Mrs. Vo- Mrs. Dr. I Vogel. And, totally and it's so cute because it's still when Marsha wears like the pigtails, isn't it? <laughs> I can still picture that. <laughs> so cute. Uh, okay, so this is a big scene, big time scene. Uh, the climax, if you will. Uh, <laughs> Michael takes her to the drive-in, and basically they start making out, which she's into. But the, also, 22 and 13, I don't want to remi- remind you. But, but um, she's into it. But then, you know, he lays on top of her, and we can't see his hands, but I'm guessing he's maybe teaching her some more about fingering. Because oh she gosh. sits up suddenly <laughs> and is, is <laughs> sorry, but <laughs> she sits up instantly. He does something that makes mm-hmm. her bolt upright, and you guys, she is instantly 13 years old again. And the jig is up. She, to her little 13-year-old credit, she fesses up. She, I mean, not instantly, but, you know, he doesn't understand. I mean, he's very nice. He's respectful that she doesn't want to go any farther. But by the time they get back to her house, she, she confesses. She tells him that she lied to him, that she's 13, apologizes for being a tease. And Michael is pissed, with good reason, I think. Um, and he basically just says goodbye, Jesse, and she gets out of the car. I want to go back to the movie scene because two funny things happened in that. They're uh, at the refreshment stand or whatever before the movie starts, Mm -hmm. and she's ordering, like, all of this food because I think she figures if she eats all this, it'll get her through whatever could possibly happen in the car at the drive-in movie. Like, she'll she'll be too busy eating popcorn. He can't can't lay on top of her if she's got popcorn in her lap. She's at the snack bar, and he's asking her what she wants, and she's going through this litany of things that even the other people in the line are looking at her like, oh, my gosh, you're going to eat all that? So... That stood out to me, as did the funny little part where he was humming a song and singing a little song. And she said, oh, what's that? And he said, oh, do you know who John Sebastian is from Love and Spoonful? Oh, my God. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about. And also, did you notice his shirt is completely unbuttoned? Oh, yeah. Course, I mean, and it's uh, it in every scene, his shirt is unbuttoned. Yes. And I'm starting to wonder if maybe his shirts don't have buttons. Oh. Like, was that? I don't recall the people in my neighborhood walking around with their <laughs> shirts unbuttoned to their navel. And yet, Rex Smith do- cannot button mm-hmm. his shirt in this movie. Yeah, well, he's well, kind yeah, of a rock star. Mm-hmm. Michael says goodbye. And she runs in the house crying. She's very upset at herself, um, mm-hmm. but just at the situation. And she runs in and, yeah, yes, Carolyn, despite everything she's just eaten <laughs> from the snack bar, <laughs> she makes her way through a chocolate cake, looks like maybe a Sara Lee, and she stays in bed for days. She's basically in the depths of despair at what she's done and the mess she's made. She, she doesn't know how she's going to live without Michael. This may not be a big deal to anybody else, but to me, it was a big moment. Yeah. When she has to have her guitar lesson with Maury Amsterdam. Oh, right? Yeah. Like, she shows up for her guitar lesson with her new boyfriend, but wah, wah, no. She no. has to do it with Maury Amsterdam instead. Yeah. And that's when she sees the cowboy boots underneath the crack yes. of the door. 
and, and your that's heart the drops. moment. Where, yeah, it does. Oh, your yes. heart drops. Uh, and and you're so happy for them, even though you know it's so wrong. You're so happy for them, and he comes in, and basically Michael tells her that they can take it at her pace. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think that is, you guys? An adult What's- me is like, well, no, no, you can't. <laughs> no, you can't. But the sixth grade me is like, oh, see, there's hope. There's hope. Yeah. Yes, you can fall in love with your best friend's older brother. It can work. We can make it work. It kind of redeems Michael for me because I'm going to be honest with you, as an 11-year-old, however old I was, I do remember all of a sudden feeling very nervous and very uncomfortable at the situation. Yeah. Um, it was okay for me when it was all a fantasy. And even when she right. was lying to him and it was still almost like a dream. But when he liked her back, when he tells her he loves her and when he kisses her, I get very scared. I, a lot of it had to do with the fact that he looked like a grown-ass man, because mm-hmm. he was, but mm-hmm. I get very nervous. So I, I, I will say that at the very end of the movie, I think there was a little redemption for me, because telling her we can take it at your own pace, mm-hmm. that, was, that felt safer. It was. It did. It was a... Um, I liked how you say that. It wasn't just that he was being redeemed, but it also relaxed me a little bit. Like, he's honoring her as a young girl. Now, of course, as adults, we're like, nope, you still can't date her. <laughs> I don't care how slow you go. You still can't date her. But it did make it did make me relax. But then he says, we can take it slow. But then they don't. And he what he should have done, he looks like he, he bends down. He's going to give her a nice little peck on the cheek, which would have been very sweet. And the example of taking it slow, that would have been a great end to the movie. But no, they don't take it slow. They stand up and they start macking on each other uh-huh. and the camera starts swirling around and they start doing that kissing where you're moving your head around no, and you're no, opening yeah. up your mouth and opening and closing and opening and closing. <laughs> and it's just feeling very awkward and inappropriate. I'm like, you ruined it. You yeah, ruined it. <laughs> then it feels unsafe. Again. Then it's yes. unsafe again. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's yeah. unsafe again. They actually stood on a moving like pedestal that that, that turned. <laughs> Wait, they and were turning? They were not turning. The camera? Oh, they were turning. Like a music box. Oh my yes. God. That's why they look so awkward. They're like holding on for dear life. Yes. And she, um, she said in an interview that it was about a minute and a half long, the scene. So they oh. had to like kiss for that long. And they had to do it like three or four times to get the oh, right. And he's I 22. Know. No. Exactly. And she said his wife was sitting right in there for all of those takes. At least there was some sort of guardian looking out for Denise Miller. (laughs) (laughs) I just was floored. But I was amazed that they were turning and not the camera because it it is quite a dizzying kind of scene. It is. Yeah. Yeah. They should have stopped it right when he bent down with his guitar and kissed her on the cheek. That would have been my fantasy come true right there. Right. 100%. Mm -hmm. Yes. So do you guys want to know what happens to Michael and Jesse? Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure you do. Uh, all right, everyone. Spoiler alerts. Uh, yeah. So there is a the the first book sequel is called Waiting Games, and Jesse is now also written by Bruce and Carol Hart. So okay. you know they know these characters, but no well. accompanying movie, right? I don't think so. Just I couldn't the book. find no. it. I okay. don't think there was. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so in Waiting Games, Jesse is now 14, and Michael is 18. And her parents know about their relationship and do not approve. Judd Hirsch says, no, (laughs) this is not happening on my watch. Um, But Jesse and Michael have sex. And then she spends the whole summer wondering if she's pregnant while he's out (gasps) on tour becoming famous. Not in jail for statutory (laughs) rape where he should be. Because it's illegal. (sighs) Right. And yeah. And spoiler alert, at the end of that book, they break up. Mm, There's your real life. But guess what? Don't worry. Don't worry. There's a third book in the series called Now or Never, which can be yours from Thrift Books for $803. Oh my that one was written 10 years later, also by Bruce and Carol Hart. And Jesse is now 17. And Michael, <clears throat> what is he, like 50? <laughs> uh, Michael returns to her from tour, a broken down alcoholic. Oh. But they eventually work things out. No, don't do that. Because of course don't they do. do. Of course they yeah, do. Yeah, don't. No. Mm-hmm. And she's only yeah, 17. How... She's still not even mm-hmm. an adult. No. Ugh. Yeah. So that's yeah. how she's starting her, that's how she's starting her romantic life as a 17-year-old uh-huh. um, partner to an alcoholic. But she's also <laughs> been in this twisted, this twisted illegal relationship since she was 13. Correct. So this is all she knows. Yeah. Um, 
So you guys, this is another one of those classic questions that we ask all the time on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Is this another one of those movies that is best left in our memories? Or do we still feel the romance of it? I mean, after all, in the movie sooner or later, let's forget about those sequels, those, mm-hmm. the, the criminal activity happening in the sequels. But in sooner or later, they are 17 and 13, which seems really gross to us as adults. But when we were 13, like we've said a lot in this conversation, it was our dream to have someone we crushed on who yeah. was older than us by only yeah. four years notice us. I mean, it was like, this is like Jesse's Tiger Beat fantasies come to life. Totally. So what do you think? Do we leave this in our memories um, or can we still recapture what it felt like to watch it? I think this is, I think this is a good example of one that I can hold on to the memories. And part of that is because of the directing and the casting. They did a really good job. And the big question is why did we love it so much? So the, this inappropriate scenario, I think was attractive to 12 year old girls because it was the equivalent of the classic camp counselor crush, right? Or your mm-hmm. friend's older brother or your mm-hmm. swimming instructor. We forget, we adults forget that our first crushes were very rarely the people who were our age. They were always people who were far older than we were. So the, the crushes of people our own age, that comes later after we've outgrown Sean Cassidy, which is the safest possible crush because we nothing can come of it. This is completely out of reach. It is an out of reach crush. But adult reactions to this can be a little too literal, right? We we mm-hmm. think of everything in terms of action, but in those out of reach crushes, there is no action. It only takes place in our minds. You have to think of this too as practice. That's what these fantasies are. The fantasies are practice. Like my friend Annie was all in on Tom Selleck with his Love American style mustache and everything. She's all in. She's just practicing in her mind and getting ready to have a crush on someone closer to her own age when she's ready. So that's Mm -hmm. what the movie was doing for us. If we take the movie literally, we can dissect whether or not it's appropriate. But what the movie did for us is allow us that practice. The question is, were the authors and the directors, were they capitalizing on our camp counselor fantasies? As in, did they know about that phenomenon? And did they do that on purpose? It does answer the question of why we were so in, why we were so taken with it. Because it shows that your camp counselor fantasy, oh my God, it can come true. Mm -hmm. You don't really actually want it to come true. I will tell you as an adult now, I I don't think it tainted my memory. of. I mean, I don't think watching this as an adult, I still, when I watched it, was... um, was all in for that that romance part of it, mm-hmm. and and again felt a little uncomfortable when things got too much. But now knowing that he's twenty, he was twenty two, and she was thirteen, I don't think I can watch it again with that same that's feeling. Real, that's so you know, that's kind of what because I wish I'm I always going to think like that is gross. Yeah, but uh, we have, but but look at that, Carolyn. We have back then we didn't have Google. We didn't have that knowledge wasn't right. so readily available right. to us. Of course, we're I'm all going to know. I'm not that sure now. that would have. Maybe bothered me. I mean, I'm sure no, I read it, it in Tiger Beat no. or something. No, I'm sure there I was do. something 22 I saw. And 13, that's a big deal. It I is mean, a big deal, but I wouldn't have perceived I it. I love that Mark way. Harmon. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to be, and he oh, was. I did love good, Richard Hatch. Yeah. It's no different from, and again, we're talking about what the movie is and how it, how it um, corresponds with our fantasies. It's like people falling in love with their teacher, mm-hmm. it's like Marsha falling in love with the dentist. When you do those things, when you fall in love with your teacher and when you fall in love with your dentist, you don't think there's anything weird and creepy about that at all. And you are hoping that something will happen. You're not able to take it very far in your mind. But nonetheless, we have those crushes and they're very serious. And I just wonder if that was the phenomenon they were writing about or if they were just writing about a 13-year-old lying about her age, which isn't as interesting to me. Knowing what we know about um, those Two people, well, Bruce, what you mm-hmm. shared with us, Michelle, he won an Emmy for the pilot mm-hmm. of Sesame Street did, and then yeah. the Free to Be You and Me. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were very on the pulse of child development stuff. So yeah. I think they knew exactly what phenomenon you're talking about, Kristen, and knew this is a great way to hook this age, which is the age really that we, you know, we were the mm-hmm. first generation Sesame Street free mm-hmm. to be you and me. So they were just taking us along with them on their ride through the development of a young child. To they a, knew us. Yeah, yeah you're right. They, really they knew did. us. And they were, uh, so on the one hand, I think they were honoring us, mm-hmm. right? You take my breath away and I don't know what to say. 
joining us everybody i hope we reminded you of how much you loved this movie and let us know did you have a camp counselor crush or an older brother crush it's just something to think about and join us next time for a palate cleanser when we will be sharing the picture books that defined our early childhoods we bet you'll recognize many of our old favorites And if you are enjoying our conversations, make sure you are subscribed where you listen. It makes a huge difference for our little podcast. And share your love with a friend on social media, hire a skywriter, (laughs) whatever you want to do. We can't tell you how much your help sharing your love of our podcast means to us. In the meantime, let's all raise our glasses for a toast, courtesy of our favorite roommates, Jack, Janet, and Chrissy. To good times. To happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. Cheers. Cheers. Information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to me, the Crushologist, and Carolyn and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, I guess there's always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded at Modern Well, a woman-centered co-working space in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. We get a happy feeling when we're singing a song